Good evening. As we come to the close of the Lord's Day and of Holy Week, we're going to turn to the book of Psalms and consider Psalm 67. I would encourage you to follow along, to find a Bible, or to pull it up on your phone. But before we look at this passage, let me pray for us. Father, would you bless us tonight that we might know you more, and that we might make you known to others. Would you give us tonight an eagerness to hear from you, and would you speak to us through your word, by your spirit. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Christ. Amen. For the past few years, I have heard of hashtag blessed somewhat often. I don't really know totally what that means. So last night, I decided to look it up on Instagram. There are 120 million posts. My unscientific, non-peer-reviewed research says that this puts this just outside the top 100 hashtags used in all of Instagram. I imagine that there would be millions more if slight variations were included. If you don't know what a hashtag is or you don't care, that's fine. The point is, in our culture today, being blessed is a popular line of thinking and pursuit. Tonight, we're going to look at Psalm 67 and seek to understand what it means to be blessed by God. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This psalm is widely assumed to be written by King David, although there is nothing in the introduction of the psalm itself that would say one way or the other. You can see from the title, if you have a Bible in front of you, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. This is a song meant to be sung. Tonight, we're going to consider this song in three parts, verses 1 and 2 under the heading, The Pursuit of God's Blessing, verses 3 and 5, The Purpose of God's Blessing, and verses 6 and 7, The Promise of God's Blessing, The Pursuit, The Purpose, and The Promise of God's Blessing. First, The Pursuit of God's Blessing. This song begins with a prayer. It's one which the singers are asking God to bless them. And it's one that would have been immediately recognizable to anyone in ancient Israel. Hundreds of years earlier, God had delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. He instructed them on how to live as his people, and he established priests to serve the people. And in Numbers chapter 6, he taught them that part of their role as priests was to bless the people giving a specific blessing they were to use. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. For centuries, 
God's people had heard this blessing spoken over them, and here in Psalm 67, they are praying it for themselves. Their first request is that God would be gracious. Any blessing from God must start with grace. All men stand before God condemned. Justly accused and in desperate need of grace, we have all rebelled against Him. We are all alienated from God and in need of reconciliation. We do not deserve blessing, even the best of us, but with the rest of creation have fallen under a curse. We are stained by sin and under judgment. And so the Israelites in this psalm and any who would approach God and seek His blessing today start by pleading for mercy. And having started by petitioning God to be gracious, the psalm goes on to ask for God's blessing that He might make His face shine upon His people. They ask God to not only spare them from judgment, but to look upon them with favor and to act accordingly, to be for them and to be at work for their good. Observe in this request the plural nature of this prayer, bless us. This us would have included all the godly of Israel, all men and women and children who look to God in humble reliance, submitting to His commands, whose trust and hope was placed in God. Certainly, God blesses individuals, and there are many places in the Bible where an individual seeks God's blessing for himself or herself personally, but here it is a corporate cry. God's blessings are not less than individual, but they are more. God's people seek God's blessing not only personally, but corporately. And this seems especially important to remember in our current day, when most of us are more isolated from each other than we would normally be. We, as God's people, seek blessing for each other. So in verse 1, God's people pursue God's blessing individually and corporately, but we must not stop there. Psalm 67 makes a significant change to the language of the priestly blessing. The psalm uses a different word for God. Number 6, the name of God is Yahweh. In Psalm 67, it is Elohim. Yahweh is the unique name that God gave to Israel signifying the special covenantal relationship with them. Elohim is a general Hebrew term for God. There is an interesting discussion about the use of these two words in the Psalms and when one is used versus the other. At least I find it interesting. But mostly it seems to have to do with whether God is speaking with Israel alone or whether he has other nations in view. And here it is clear that other nations are in view, and so the more general Elohim is intentionally substituted for the more exclusive Yahweh. Because it is not just God's people that need blessing, and it is not just that God's people pursue God's blessing for themselves, there is an expanding component as they seek God's blessing for all nations. Too often, I am afraid, we are content to stop with looking for God to bless us or our family and friends. But that is not how God's blessing works. Whenever and wherever God has blessed His people, it has always had an eye towards expansion. 
During creation, after creating man and woman in Genesis 1, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. The very first instance of God blessing anyone was with a view of multiplying humanity. A few chapters later in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham and tells him, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This call of Abraham is where everything started for the Israelites. From the start, God was calling out a nation to be his own and was blessing them so that they would be a blessing. John Calvin, the great reformer, puts it this way, every benefit which God bestowed upon his ancient people was, as it were, a light held out to the eyes of the world to attract the attention of the nations to him. Psalm 67, God's people continue this trajectory. In verse 1, they have asked God to bless them, but in verse 2, they make it clear that they desire for God to show them favor so that others may know his way and power of salvation. Remember, the first request in the psalm was for grace. Blessed are those who know their need for God, who know their need for salvation and know where to look for it, but to be a sinner in need of a Savior and to not know where the saving power of God is found, that is a terrible place to be. In the time of this psalm, that is where all of the other nations were. And we must mournfully confess that in our day, that is where many people find themselves as well. Ignorance in this situation is not bliss. Those who do know the ways of God and the power of His salvation want nothing more than for that grace and blessing which they have received to be shared. So God's people Pursue God's blessing personally, corporately, and expansively. But we cannot even stop there. We must go one step further as we move into verses 3 and 5 and consider the purpose of God's blessing. The ultimate goal of God's blessing is not inward, and it is not outward, it is upward. The praise of God. Just a cursory scanning of Psalm 67 makes this clear. It is all about God. God is addressed. God's blessing is sought. Notice the personal nature of the cry of God's people as they move from the third person in verse 1 to the second person in verse 2. Your way may be known, your saving power that is proclaimed. Let your name be praised. Your guidance and your judgment are the source of joy. Even the structure of this psalm points to the primacy of God. Seven stanzas, one three-line stanza in the middle, verse four, with three two-line stanzas both before and after. This central verse is sandwiched on either side by the repeated chorus, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Verses one and two are a prayer building up to these middle verses, six and seven, as we shall see, support them as they look at God's answer. The center of the song The ultimate aim of pursuing God's blessing is people praising and delighting in God. Praise is what God and God alone deserves, and it is what all people were created for. The first question and answer in the Westminster Shorter Catechism very simply reinforces this. What is the chief end of man? 
to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is what you and I were designed for. And so God's people call out, let the peoples praise you. Oh God, let all the peoples praise you. And when the knowledge of God's way of salvation spreads, His praise follows close behind. Verse 4 goes on to describe more reasons for joy and thanksgiving for the nations as more of God's character is revealed. He's a just judge and a faithful leader. Oh, what nation would not be delighted to be ruled by a fair government, to be led and guided by the good shepherd? How many people today around the world long for such a situation? How many people have been wrongly accused or have been mistreated but no one will listen to them? have lived lives in times and places where even with all of the law on their side, they could not find a court in which to take their complaint, or they did not possess the status or money to bribe a judge to hear their case. How many false accusations get upheld, and how often does wickedness go unnoticed or at least unpunished? It is no wonder then that when the nations find that God judges with equity, they respond with songs of gladness. Surely such a God is to be delighted in and is worthy of praise. And so the chorus is repeated in verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This has been the hope and yearning of God's people throughout the ages that God's praise will spread to all people. Christian, is this your hope and longing today? God's people seek God's blessing, that the praise of God will increase through the spread of the knowledge of God. This is what Psalm 67 is about, the pursuit of blessing for the purpose of praise from all people. And as we come to the last two verses, the promise of God's blessing, we recognize why God's people have always pursued this hope with great confidence. If we go back to number six, right after God tells the priests how to bless the people, he says this, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. I will bless them. God will bless his people. He has promised to do so. He will be faithful to his promises. In our psalm, God's people are simply asking God to do what he has already said he will do. And so, while Psalm 67 is a prayer, it is also a declaration. There is a predictive nature to this psalm. On the one hand, God, please bless us so that your knowledge extends to the ends of the earth and your praise with it. On the other hand, God will bless us so that his knowledge extends to the ends of the earth and his praise with it. It is a prayer that God would bless people with knowledge of his saving power. It is an imperative to those who are not yet God's people to praise his name, and it is a proclamation that this is exactly what God is going to bring about. The people are both singing to God, asking him to work, and they are singing to each other, reminding one another of who God is and what he is doing. And so, 
looking ahead, the psalmist can speak in the past tense that the earth has yielded its increase. And he can say with confidence that the prayer of verse 1 will be answered. God, our God, shall bless us. He will bless his people, and the result will be that the fear of God will extend to the ends of the earth. People everywhere will revere God, stand in awe of God, submit to God in trust, and sing to God praises with joy. It is a certainty. And I want us to take a minute to consider this certainty from where we stand today as we wrap up a week of focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because what the Israelites sought from God and were confident that God would do is realized in Jesus. In verse 1, the singers cry out for God to bless them. Ephesians 1 tells us that God has blessed his people with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through Jesus. They ask for grace. Through Jesus, God extends grace to sinners and reveals his way and power of salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And remarkably, God accomplishes this grace in such a manner that his character from verse 4 is protected and exalted. Did you feel a tension between these verses 1 and 4? In verse 1, the people ask for God to withhold judgment and be gracious. And then in verse 4, the nations are singing songs of joy because of just judgments. So which is it? Do we rejoice over the justice of this judge, rightly punishing evil, or do we cry out to this judge for mercy and pardon? In these two verses, we see both sides of a courtroom, the plaintiff and the defendant, and those two sides are hoping for very different outcomes. The defendant, especially when they are guilty, wants pardon or mercy. The plaintiff wants conviction and sentencing. As we thought about earlier, there is great comfort in knowing that when God comes as judge, every wrong done against us will be right. Except that it also means every wrong we have done will be judged rightly. And none of us will stand innocent not in our interactions with other people, and much more importantly, not in our interactions before God. Reality is we are stuck. We find ourselves in both sides. We are all both sinners and victims of sin. If God is just, then we are condemned. But if God overlooks evil, then his character is called into question. Anyone is welcome to do anything they like to us, and he is not a God worth praising and delighting in. Mark Dever, a pastor in Washington, D.C., commenting on Exodus 34, 7, where God declares that he will forgive iniquity and transgression and sin, but will by no means clear the guilty, calls this the riddle of the Old Testament. How can God both forgive sins and hold the guilty to account? How can he be gracious in verse 1 and judge with equity in verse 4? We have the advantage of the New Testament, standing on this side of Good Friday and the resurrection. So we know the answer to the riddle of the Old Testament. God poured out his righteous judgment on Jesus 
at the cross so that he could extend grace to sinners like you and I. The perfect Son of God took the death we deserve so that we might receive new life through him. At the cross, the perfect justice and loving mercy of God meet. By sending his Son as a substitute to die in our place, God can be both a gracious and a just judge. We can both run to him for mercy and rejoice to know that he will not leave evil undealt with. So we see in Jesus, the saving power of God, the gracious love of God, the good justice of God are all revealed and confirmed in the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. And finally, we see that through Jesus, the verses The prayer of verses 2 and 3 and 5 is happening. The blessing has spread, making God's way of salvation known to all nations. The night that Jesus was born, an angel declared to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. After his resurrection, he instructed his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them the way of salvation. He later promised that he would grant them his spirit through which they would testify to his salvation to the ends of the earth. All people, all nations, the ends of the earth. Psalm 67 is happening. Today, Easter Sunday, the saving power of God is being celebrated by Christians around the world. The earth has yielded its increase. The harvest has begun. Most of you watching tonight, I would guess, are part of that. Most of you are likely not of Jewish descent. You are Gentiles to whom the knowledge of God has spread. Through Jesus, the fear and knowledge of God has gone forth as the Israelites desired in Psalm 67. The psalmist saw the promised blessing of God in bud form in verses 6 and 7, but on this side of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we see the flower. And yet with the singers of this psalm, we are still waiting for the full bloom of the blessing and promise and praise of God. There will be a day when Jesus will return, and the book of Revelation tells us that there will be a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Surely God, our God, shall bless us. And the ends of the earth shall fear him, and all of the peoples will praise him. Before we conclude, I need to ask where you see yourself in this psalm. There are two options, us and the nations. You are either part of the people of God or you are part of the rest of the world. Do you belong to God through Jesus? Are you part of the us or are you part of the nations. These are the only two options, and every one of you fits into one of these two categories. If you have not been reconciled to God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, know that you exist and were created to praise God. His longing and the longing of all Christians is that you would join in worship of God. Christianity is not an us versus you proposition. The grace that God has shown Christians through Jesus Christ 
is available to you. You can know the saving power of God on your behalf. And we who know that power do not desire to keep it for ourselves. We want you to know and to join us in praising God and in rejoicing in his goodness. Consider joining in that today. Easter is a great day to be brought to new life through Jesus Christ. Turn to him, repent of your sin, and confess your need for a Savior. Encourage you, put your faith in the only one who possesses the power to save. Most of you likely watching an online evening service on Easter are probably identifying with the us of God's people. You too exist and were created to praise God and to help others do the same. Do you pursue the blessing of God for yourself? and for your fellow believers, so that the good news of Jesus might spread and God might be praised. I scrolled through just a few of the Instagram posts that I mentioned earlier. There were some religious references, more this morning than last night. but They are overwhelmingly things like pictures of loved ones, favorite places, meals, cups of coffee. There were lots of cups of coffee We delight to tell others about blessings we have received, both big and small, and these are all good things, but brothers and sisters, we have been blessed far beyond compare. Forgiveness of sins, peace with God, a secure future, joy unmatched, life eternal, to name a few. And it is both the passion and the great privilege of the Christian to get to share this gift with others. You who have been reconciled to God are now ambassadors of that same reconciliation, Our neighbors and coworkers, friends and family, the nations of the world will believe, Romans tells us, when they hear, and they will hear when God's people tell them about Christ and preach the good news to them. Over the years, Easter has grown into the day I most look forward to year after year. I look forward to meeting with you every Sunday, and thinking about the death and resurrection of Jesus throughout the year, but there is something special about this day. I'm not even totally sure how to describe it, but I think many of you may know what I'm talking about because I feel like there is an electric excitement in the air when I walk into church on Easter, and everyone is looking forward to this day. I love the buildup throughout the week. I love the opportunity to meet with you on Thursday night and Friday afternoon. I love the anticipation of showing up on Sunday morning eager to sing glorious songs of celebration together. I love the feeling of a family gathering to corporately rejoice in the most glorious and extraordinary truths imaginable and which bind us together most deeply. It is not uncommon for me to be teased for my wardrobe choices of basically blue and gray, but on Easter, I love coming to church and seeing the pastel colors. Sometimes I even pull out my brightest blue shirt to try to join in the the celebration that people are doing. I love greeting and being greeted with the responsive refrain, he is risen, and hearing the majestic reply, he is risen indeed. So today, while I am deeply thankful for the technology that allows us to continue to meet and learn together in some manner, 
that gratitude is mixed with sadness and with longing, a longing to be reunited with you all one of these Sundays, but also a longing to gather together with all of God's people from all time and all nations before the throne of God when God's face will shine upon us and we will all with one voice and one heart unmixed with any sadness sing praise to our God. Oh, let the peoples praise God. Let all the peoples praise God. As much as today is different than what we would have thought it would be even a few weeks ago, in a very real sense, nothing, not even a virus, can remove the joy of the resurrection, of knowing that our Redeemer lives and that one day He will return and we will see Him face to face. And so as we go out from this Easter Sunday, let us take with us the serious and glorious and joyful realities that we have reflected on these past few days. Let us pursue God's blessing for ourselves and all people for the purpose of ever-increasing praise to God. And let us do so remembering and reminding each other of the certain promises of God that He will accomplish His purposes of blessing His people and calling more people to Himself to join in the chorus of praise. Let us rejoice in the substitutionary death of Jesus for our sins, the victorious resurrection of that same Jesus, and let us embrace the privilege of being bearers of such good news and liberally share that knowledge, inviting all people to join us in praising our great God. Would you please join me in praying to that end. Father, we do praise you. We praise you, gracious God. We praise you, just God. We praise you for your glory and your majesty. We praise you as the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. We praise you as the one through whom redemption is found. We praise you for Good Friday, and we praise you for Easter. Lord, we ask you would be gracious to us and bless us and you would make your face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Lord, may the peoples praise you, all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you for the sake of your name. For the sake of your glory, and it is in the glorious name of Christ that we ask these things. Amen.